you're listening to Birds, Bees, and Teas, a sexuality education and storytelling podcast hosted by yours truly, Miss Nia Angie Africana Sutton. Hey, teasers. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Birds, Bees, and Teas, a sexuality education and storytelling podcast. And I'm so excited for this episode because I get to bring you all that second half of storytelling today with my own story entitled The Hidden P. So in the intro to the tease episode, I talked a little bit about storytelling and why I wanted to incorporate that into this podcast. Um, So I'll reiterate those things. Storytelling is a huge part of my identity and who I am as a person and several of the identities that I hold. For example, being a black woman, storytelling is a staple of blackness. Um, You know, the way that we recall stories at family events um, and the way that we pass information down from generation to generation through storytelling um, has always been so important to me. Storytelling is also really closely related to spoken word and poetry, Um, and those are some of my passions that um, I don't get to explore so often, Um, and I've definitely been less in touch with um, as I age. Um, So I'm really excited to be able to tell a story to you all today um, and also to bring storytelling on this platform And I won't be the only storyteller. Um, There are so many more exciting storytellers to come and share with you all information and share with you all their sexual health stories um, and all of those things. So it's really exciting. This story that I'm going to tell today, The Hidden P, um, is really more um, on the education standpoint um, of what I'll be talking about. Um, And some of the stories that you all hear from other storytellers will follow that type of outline. Um, But sometimes I will tell stories or other storytellers will tell stories that are really rooted in our personal experiences. Um, And so I appreciate the opportunity to give others the platform to share their stories and for you all to hear those stories um, that you'll be able to connect with deeply. Um, And I want to make sure that this platform is a space where people can feel vulnerable enough to share those stories and feel safe enough to share those stories. Um, So that is really an an important construct for me with this platform. So I'm going to stop my rapping now and I'm going to present to you all the hidden P. My life's journey has given me the privilege of learning about sex and sexuality openly and freely, generally speaking. I acknowledge that. And I also acknowledge that other people have learned and experienced sex and sexuality much differently than me. In whatever ways we've learned about it, the five P's are usually at the core of learning about sex, sexual health, sexuality. As noted by the CDC, And within the reproductive and sexual health communities, the five P's are recognized as partners, practices, pregnancy, past history, and preventing STIs. 
or STDs. So I'll give you all a little nugget here. On this podcast, you all will hear me talk about STIs. You'll hear me say STIs, sexually transmitted infections, more than you'll hear me hear me say STDs or sexually transmitted diseases. Um, and it's just a little simple language thing that I use to reduce the harm and stigma and negative connotation around sexually transmitted infections. Um, people are oftentimes more comfortable with hearing the word infection than they are with hearing the word disease. We associate diseases with uh, like terminal illness um, or like chronic sickness, uh, whereas infections, we view them as something that can be treated or cured or um, managed. So that is why You'll hear people use STIs and STDs differently sometimes, but definitely on birds, bees, and teas, you'll hear me say STIs. All right, so yes, the five Ps are partners, like your sexual partners, practices, like your sexual practices, pregnancy, past history regarding sex and sexual partners, and preventing STIs as the fifth P. Let's first talk about partners. We receive messages about who our partners should be, how many partners we should have, when we should seek partnership, etc., etc. For example, religion. Religion tells us that sex is between one man, one woman who are married and who have never experienced sex with anyone else. Um, in other religions, um, You know, there are other parameters around sex, um, but in Christian religions or popular religions, that is what we, the messages that we learn about sex. Your sexual health provider, however, might ask you about your number of partners and then their sexual behaviors as well, your partner's sexual behaviors. So it can, it comes up for us in the medical settings as well. The second P is practices. We all have definitely received messages about sexual practices. Our music, our media, and definitely, air quotes, formal education taught us what sexual practices were okay and what ones were normal. And they also taught us what sexual sexual practices were not okay and which sexual practices were not normal. And all of the quote-unquote dangers associated with the other practices. Songs were literally on the radio talking to us about partners' positions and practices. Your healthcare provider will ask you about sexual practices so that they can have a better understanding of your risk of STIs pregnancy, and other sexual health outcomes. Regardless of the fact, we have all learned about sexual health practices. The third P, pregnancy. Now this is something that should be the business of you, your partner, and your provider. But everybody be up in the tea, sending all types of messages and providing mixed information 
for people to learn from and form opinions from. How is pregnancy and reproduction one of the basic functions of sexual organisms a political issue? Why did I learn that pregnancy was the worst possible thing that could happen to me as a teenager and then turn on the TV to see white girls being turned into celebrities for being teenage and pregnant? There's definitely a disconnect there. And the messages that I received from those interactions really threw me off. The fourth P is past history. Woo chow. The messages that we still hear present day with a lot of us almost knocking 30 years old or older about a person's sexual health and their sexual history is wild. While it is normal for your health care practitioner to ask about your past STI history as a predictor for STI risk, it is not normal or okay for y'all to be out here comparing COVID-19 transmission to STIs. Okay, I'm sorry, I just got to say it. It's awful that y'all do that. But let me check my privilege and remind myself that it's a reflection of the messages that we all received about STIs. We learned that HIV was a death sentence. And we learned that STIs made us dirty or unworthy. When in reality, many of our family, friends, and faves are living normally, happily, and healthily while living with an STI. Another reality is that STI transmission will continue, especially if we allow stigma and shame to limit resources, education, and access to preventative STI healthcare. Which brings me to my next P, prevention. Starting my sex ed journey as a peer educator, HIV and STI prevention is what drew me to this work. I had the privilege of learning how to use external or male condoms and internal or female condoms and teach others how to do that also. Although I was sometimes met with crazy messages like females shouldn't be carrying condoms and questions like, why are you out here teaching this to kids? Some of you all didn't learn about condoms until an older loved one or a friend could give you their version of a condom demonstration. While some of you all may have not learned about condoms at all until college because your school system taught abstinence-only education. Y'all, there are actual school systems that don't allow teachers to say the word sex. Like, how are you teaching me? How is this sex ed and you can't even say sex? Like, that is crazy. But in all these P's and in all of these messages, you know what was always missing? And I bet some of y'all have already guessed it. Pleasure. Okay, pleasure. Why are we just starting to really even consider this? Why are we just really talking about it? My experience with learning about pleasure started with learning nothing about it at all. And then I started to learn about male pleasure through songs and pop culture. 
Lil Wayne had a big influence on that. And then it was just that for a while. Just male pleasure. Even when I started to have my own personal experiences with pleasure and masturbation. It was just male pleasure. And messages that insinuated that sex is something that is done to someone and not with someone. And the general idea that the person with the penis doing the penetrating was the person in power. Y'all, even as a sex educator, even as a peer educator during these times, like the condom lineups that we would do, the step after penetration was ejaculation, not orgasm. And so this sent a message as well saying that sex ended after the person with the penis ejaculated. That was what was implied, you know, and not after both partners or all partners experience their maximum level of pleasure. You know, it's crazy. And then something magical happened. I experienced my first real sexual orgasm or what I thought then to be someone had made me come and that changed the game okay I then understood that for me that was the end goal and I honestly had no concept of that before despite having orgasms from masturbation I didn't think of orgasm as being the ending result of sex And that's so wild to me. 27-year-old me is looking back like, girl, what were you fucking for? Fun? But even after then, up until present day, I am still having to unlearn and having to de-center male pleasure in aspects of my life that are not even sexual as well. And I know that I share that experience with many people who hold identities similar to mine. I never learned so many things about sex, especially pleasure, as a cisgender, heterosexual, able-bodied black girl. So imagine how much miseducation our LGBTQ friends received. Imagine all the things that people with disabilities never learned because people just assumed that they would never need to know or that they would never have sex anyway. If people weren't getting information about the five P's, then they definitely were not getting messages about pleasure. This is even an area where our healthcare providers fall short. Like sis, you've asked me every other possible thing about this pussy, but not about pleasure. A simple, so how is your sex life? Or are you enjoying sex? Could go a long way after you just got all up in my personal business. Let me know that you care, okay? We might get a good, are you experiencing pain during sex? But that's not enough. Asking patients about pleasure can open up opportunities for referrals to clinicians who focus more specifically on sex and sexuality. And it could also serve as an avenue to identify victims of human trafficking or sexual abuse. Vaginal health issues like chronic dryness or vaginismus, 
which is the body's auto reaction to the fear of penetration, could be addressed by asking about pleasure. People with penises could get help with erectile dysfunction if healthcare providers asked about pleasure. Many healthcare workers miss the mark on this, and these are missed opportunities to improve sexual wellness. Sex is supposed to feel good, and it's supposed to be good. And despite our efforts to try and act like that's a secret or an experience that only some people have the right to have, we all know the truth. Sexual pleasure in whatever shape, form, or fashion that looks like to us as individual absolutely improves so many other aspects of our existence and various dimensions of our health, physically, mentally, emotionally, and for some of us, financially, okay? It's time that we talk about it, for real, without these old stereotypes that we've been holding on to since the beginning of time. It's old and it's tight, in my Jocelyn Hernandez voice. Women rapping about sexual pleasure in 2020 should not cause all the chaos and mayhem and think pieces that it does. At this point, that shit is educational, okay? A a lot of women need to learn about orgasms and need to learn about wet-ass pussies, okay? So I share this story as a call to all of my fellow sex educators and sexual health professionals to make sure that we are centering pleasure in our work. There are so many amazing educators who are already doing this work who I have learned so much from like the Southern sexologist, Mrs. Tanya Bass, Dr. Jess O'Reilly, better known as Sex with Dr. Jess, and the public health sexologist, Alicia Andrews, and so many more. I also tell this story to encourage other women and people and femme-identifying folks to start centering your own pleasure in your life and especially in your sexual health life. Seeking or wanting pleasurable experiences doesn't make you a hoe, it doesn't make you a freak, it doesn't make you nasty, promiscuous, or thotty. It definitely doesn't make you demonic or lusty either. It makes you a human. And as a human person, living being, you deserve the right, you have the right to seek the best things out of life. You deserve the best, and that includes pleasure. All right, teasers, thanks for tuning in to that episode. I hope that you all enjoyed it and that you learned something or take something with you to start a new conversation about sex and sexuality with a friend, a family member, or a partner. Please make sure that you all follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Birds, Bees, Tees. That's our handle at Birds, Bees, Tees on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And leave us a review. We appreciate your reviews. We appreciate your feedback. And we definitely take it into account to build more content and bring you more interesting, fun, and sexy topics on Birds, Bees, and Tees. So thank you all again. Like us, follow us, all that good stuff. Subscribe to us on the listening platform that you're using and tune in next week for an all new episode of birds bees and teas